The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Always awesome. Thank you, Miss Meg. You always lead us to Christ through your songs as we prepare for Christ. So thank you, as you always do. Well, I invite your attention this morning, if you have your Bible, to 1 Peter chapter 1, as we are uh, kind of ending a second part series, if we will, two sermon series through the nine prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, nine prophecies fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And 1 Peter is just kind of our launching pad that's not good seminary sermon preparation. We're going to be all over the Bible today, but I just want to frame this as we go. And as you're turning there, just a couple quick things for you. We are currently live on Facebook, at least I am. That's always a weird thing. Uh, I want to thank Gilbert, our, our pastor of worship, for doing this. Uh, this. This service, at least this part of the service, the sermon, right before the sermon is live. So uh, we've seen a lot of people literally around the world, uh, thousands of different uh, impressions as, as social media goes, view the videos that we have, and we're praying that it's a way that people would come to know Christ. We don't want to use it as an excuse for people not to come to church, for sure. Uh, we live here in the local body. We don't live through a, a church through the Internet. You need to be involved. But we pray it blesses you if you're, you're unable to come sometime or even if you're watching and you can't come. So know that. And next week... Next week, I will be out of town. Our family will be gone to Oklahoma. Uh, Dr. Alan Branch, many of you know Dr. Alan Branch, will be preaching here next week. Uh, you will be blessed. He is a full of energy, socks off kind of guy, but he is also a Georgia Bulldogs fan. So if you want to wear your best Oklahoma Sooner stuff, uh, please do. Uh, he will be happy to see your opposing team. So, uh, uh, But you will enjoy Dr. Branch. Uh, he's a good friend of ours. He shares with us several times through the year in evangelizing our streets, especially in Gracemore's, where we go often with them. So you be praying for Dr. Branch, and uh, our family appreciates a t some time away as we go down to Oklahoma for Natalie's side of the family, and uh, it'll be a blessing. So you're in First Peter chapter 1. Well, it is the holiday season, so you know as well as I do, it's that time of year where we get stretched out a little bit, don't we? Uh, I, I, this show is always interesting, but how, uh, there's a show called The Middle. It's about a family life. It's called The Middle, and some of you may have seen this. And during uh, season six recently, a teenage daughter on the show named Sue walked into her parents' bedroom with a question, but she was immediately distracted by her mom's slacks. Sue, as in only a teenager could, blurted out and said, Mom, are you wearing maternity pants? And her mom, as only her mom could say, her mom's name is Frankie, excitedly modeled them Vanna White style and said, no, they used to be, but now they're called my holiday pants. They're stretchable. And that's how this time of year often goes, isn't it? We pray this year at Tower View as we go through these passages that that is how you are feeling. Uh, you all were very gracious in your feedback last week. We went through a lot of scripture, didn't we? Uh, you were stretched to, to do your, your thumb gymnastics or page gymnastics uh, because you were looking at passages that you weren't accustomed to seeing usually on a Sunday morning. So uh, perhaps you're not stretched your waistline, but again, I think on Friday we all were by God's grace at the Christmas party. But it's a great reminder that we must be stretched beyond ourselves as we look at the gospel. 
you have heard the Christmas story, some of you, for years. But may God give us not a new word, but may God remind us of the old words. Because Second Peter one twenty one, as you'll see on the screen, reminds us that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's great news for us, folks, because everything that we are going to study today, everything that we looked at last week, and everything that we can look at throughout the year on every Lord's Day is what God would do. And the question is, when reading the Bible, we're not just looking for a moral story, an Aesop's fable, but we're looking for the Messiah in the story. The scriptures are all about Christ, all about Christ. Jesus is no longer the meek and humble Messiah, or meek and humble Galilean, but he's the sovereign Messiah who came down to us, and we want to see that today. So we're going to ask those questions again. What do these prophecies have to do with the Christmas story? And what tends to function in our life as a replacement for these during the Christmas season? Because there's so many. And we have to ask, what kind of Messiah do we want today? Do we want a Messiah that's a neat little Jesus packaged in a Christmas gift that gives you a thumbs up when you talk about him, and that's all that we go with? Or do we want the Messiah that from before time began had one singular plan, and that was to bring himself to this earth to die for our sins, to be buried, to be resurrected physically, bodily, literally, all those great words, to go to heaven and come back again. That is our Savior. And our big idea today, and the big idea, of course, is just our thesis or or where we're going, is that Jesus' birth offers the only hope, his person and work for humanity's greatest problem, most tragic problem, which is the inescapable sin of our hearts. Look, the most powerful intervention in human history did not look powerful at all, did it? Jesus came as a humble child born in a stable somewhere, perhaps even in a house, depending on how you take the first century culture. He was born outside the power of castles, and all the history marched because God knew he was the gift that we all needed. And every day, you and I should do what the shepherds did. We should run to this Messiah with joy and worship him and say, Lord, you are the worthy one, and he truly, truly is. As we close out, we are in part two of the nine prophecies fulfilled by Jesus. We're going to look at the last three today. You have your Bibles ready, right? Got your Kindles ready? Did anyone bring a Kindle this week after last week? Or your smartphone? And no checking chief scores. They don't play yet. Don't worry. They're not going to win anyway, so let it be. That was the most reaction I've gotten out of sermon since I've been here, I think. So we'll let it be. But you keep your Bible handy. And there are nine prophecies fulfilled in Christ. And the last three are the most, or the largest, perhaps. And we're going to look at how, how Jesus is born the son of David. He's born the son of David. He's born in Bethlehem. And, and very, very important, he's born of a virgin. Pastor, do we really still believe that? I mean, re- that doesn't happen. Well, it, it better happen because we're going to be, we're gonna be dead without it. And our goal out of this, as always, is that we would be amazed at what God would do through us, guys, in the sense that these scriptures that we're looking at are going to unfold for us the same story that has been in every page we have looked at and bring it to life. May we never cease to wonder and be amazed at what God can do, and God did in Jesus Christ. God spoke, it came to pass, not one prophecy failed, and may we have unwavering confidence in the scriptures and God's word and may we have confidence that Jesus Christ is the only Messiah the son of the living God so with that in mind would you join me in standing as we read first Peter 1 10 through 12 as kind of our starting point 
as we look at these prophecies that Peter will share about. And you be prepared. We're going to be jumping around today. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, and we will start there. Be reading out of the ESV in the Pew Bible as well. Hear God's word this morning. 1 Peter 1.10 says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring, verse 11, what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, that's the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you. And the things that they have now announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven Things to which even angels long to look into. If the angels think this is pretty good, that's a good thing to look into. But guys, we look into this because God is worthy to be looked at. He is the only God above all gods. That's why we're here this morning. Would you join me in prayer as we start? Father, as you stretch us in more ways than one this holiday season, that could come in the form, Father, of simply seeing things from a different light, not an unbiblical light, but Father, seeing a stretching of how big and vast and unsearchable you really are yet as one theologian said in baby talk you've come down to us to speak to us the gospel of christ father we will spend all eternity chasing after the glory that is your son never will we be bored never will we be out of work father it'll be all about you how we long for that day but father we're not there yet we live in a broken world a sin-filled world a, a world that needs the light of the gospel through our lives our churches churches and all the uh, evangelization that we can do by your grace and spirit. Father, be with us now. May your word be preached. It's not my word. It's your word. It's not about me. It's about you. It's not about our church. It's about you. Father, may that be our attitude. You must increase, as John said, and we truly must decrease. We pray this all to the glory of your name and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, as we come to this time, I just want to remind you, perhaps, uh, maybe you're joining us for the second part, or it's been, a, it's been a week, you've had other things on your mind, and it's always good to remind ourselves. So, I'm going to have Andy put this up on the screen, but these are the six prophecies we went over last week, and you remember that we said we cherry-picked. Uh, you know what a cherry-picker is, it's what you're just reaching for little small pieces, and we started, if you will, at the wide-angle lens. And now we're starting to get a little more narrow as we get closer to the coming of Christ as we look through selected prophecies. And guys, let me tell you, there are prophecies everywhere. This is just looking at the basics. So we saw first off last week that Jesus, this Messiah to come, was to be born of a woman. Genesis 3.15, the first gospel that we saw. Then he was to be born of a, the seed of Abraham. Remember, God promised Abraham that his seed would go across as numerous as the stars in the sky, didn't he? And then we asked, well, which son of Abraham was it? Was it Isaac? Was it uh, uh, Ishmael? Was it his other son? No, it was, it was Isaac. And then Isaac w w begat Jacob. And Jacob, that, that squirrely rascal, wasn't he? Just a, a crazy little guy. He, he would lie one time and do this, and God finally had to wrestle him to the ground, literally, for him to, to listen up and follow. But, but through Jacob and his sons, number five, were born one of the sons of Jacob, Judah. And Jacob, at the end of his life in Egypt, blessed Judah and told him that through him the kings of Israel would come. And then finally we saw born the son of Jesse. Not Jesse we saw up here earlier, but Jesse, the, the, the father of David, of course. And we saw that in Isaiah 11. Now with that in mind, I want you to turn with me, if you will, to the book of 2 Samuel. You've heard what the prophet said, what Peter said, that the prophets spoke about all these things that were to come, and it was not just for the people locally, but it was for all time. And now I want to take you to 2 Samuel chapter 7 this morning. 
2 Samuel chapter 7. And this will look at born the son of David. Born the son of David. Now, of course, David, as you may recall, was a young man when all things came to be. And uh, this, this story is very familiar to many of you. But David, of course, was the least of his brothers, but God chose him. God told Samuel at that time in 1 Samuel uh, to not look at the heart, or not look at the outside appearance, but look at the heart, and God did. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, and look at verse 16. This is David being spoken to by God as he is entering the, the, the phase of building a temple, and God tells him this. Chapter 7, verse 16 in 2 Samuel. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. I mean, wouldn't that be great if your last name could carry on forever? You you've know of families who, by God's grace, they have many daughters, but they never have any sons, and the, the family name doesn't go on. But here, it's even greater than that. God foretold the promised Messiah would come through one of Jesse's sons. And Jesse's son, David, was it. And so often is the pleasure is that he chose to work through David. Remember, as I just mentioned, David's brothers were like the built men of the day. They were the, the, the husky, the, the, the fighters, the American gladiators. You remember that show? They were those guys. And here comes David, the shepherd boy, the stinky little shepherd boy, walking along. And God chose, as he often does, to get all the glory for himself, to work through this little shepherd boy. And you remember the question that was posed to, by Samuel to, to Jesse. He said, is this all your sons? Is this it? And he goes, yeah, there's this one guy. He's out in the field, and he calls for David. And David was fetched and brought, and Samuel anointed him the future king of Israel. But not just a physical king but the kingdom through which the Messiah would come. And there would be no end to his kingdom once he assumed his throne. And so often, as was the case with most of the people of the Bible, you saw the kings of, of, of Judah and Israel going wayward, backwards and forwards with the Lord, but that wasn't what it was talking about necessarily. It was talking about an eternal king, one to come, the son of Jesse. You don't have to turn there. It will be up on the screen, but Romans chapter 1 when Paul writes the opening of his gospel to the church at Rome, reminds us this. He says in verses 1 and 2, he says that God, which he promised beforehand through his son, prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who is a descendant of David according to the flesh. Why, Paul? Why would God send his Savior through David? Because Christ is the long-ago promised one called out by the prophets as the son of David. And you'll see in the next verse, this is very familiar to you, Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And these are very familiar words to you. This is during the story of Mary and the angel talking. And he says, now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he'll be called the son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father who? David. There it is. The prophets foretold that through David. And when you open up the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew, we looked at this last year, Matthew 1. Matthew is careful to trace that lineage, and through that lineage, he calls the Messiah the son of David and the son of Abraham. And Matthew checks off every list of every person everywhere as he bridges the gap between the Old Testament 
and the New Testament. God was faithful to his word. And church, he's also faithful to us. And this phrase is, is one I want you to really think about, and you'll see it on the screen, but the son of David has no concubines. The son of David has no concubines. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this promised one to come is that the one who would come is Jesus never cheats on his bride. Jesus never has anyone who he says something to that he doesn't fulfill. Christ has one bride, and you know what it's called? It's called the church, the church universal. God says in Isaiah 62, 4, he says, You, my people, shall be called my delight is in her. As a bridegroom rejoices, so the bride. Our bridegroom will not leave us before or at the altar. The same God who promised that through David he would send forth the Messiah is the same God that is promising us as a church that he will never let us go. Aren't you grateful for that? In Christ, we're not only forgiven, but we are also righteous. We are sealed. We are beloved. We are enjoyed. We are secure. We are his. We are betrothed. We are desired more. But that's not how David acted, did he? David had a wife for every day of the week, I think, and more so for every year that he lived. But our Lord, Jesus Christ, has one choice bride, and that is the church of Jesus Christ. Look, our church here is not perfect. Did you know that? Surprise. Every church you visit is not perfect. Charles Spurgeon said if you found a perfect church, you might, have found, might as well have found your way to heaven because there's no perfect church. But I'm grateful that in Christ, even as a church, universal, all churches everywhere in our local church, even though we know we're sinners, that when we get to heaven one day, we will be as white as white can be because we're clothed in Jesus Christ. God didn't cheat on us. God didn't say, man, you guys have been unfaithful to me. I'm going to be unfaithful to you. No. Even while we were faithless, he was faithful. What an awesome God. If you're God's child, you don't have to wonder about how your story will end because your future is sealed and secured in this son of David, Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing. There's a story that comes out of the Wild West. I'm at, you know me. I love documentaries. That probably puts most of you to sleep. It put, does put me to sleep. It's good sleep, really. But for the 10 minutes I get before I fall asleep, uh, this story comes out of there. There was a Virginian, and this is a picture of him, named Colonel Byrd. And he was condemned to death by the Cherokee Indians. But in that tribe, there was a chief named Red Bird. Ironically, Bird and Bird, go figure. And Red Bird stood up to the council of the chiefs, and he said, But this man is my friend. Before you can get at him, chiefs, you have to kill me. And friends... The Cherokees let him go free because they didn't touch Redbird. Redbird was a wild man, literally, and otherwise. And so, too, that is how Jesus looks at his church. Before anyone else can make an accusation, if Satan throws an accusation at the church and says, but they're sinful, but they did this and did this and did this and did this, Jesus looks and said, but I did this once. And I will never forsake them. That is the son of David who has no extra lovers. He has one and that is his bride, Jesus Christ. Guys, that's great news for us. And the great news is, is that before the believer could ever lose his salvation, Christ would have to be overcome, and Christ can never be overcome. And I'm so grateful for that, because without that fulfillment, we have not that promise. That's number seven. So we have seen, if you're keeping track, I, I think you got this list down. He was born of a woman. He was born of Abraham, the son of Isaac, son of Jacob, tribe of Judah, family of Jesse, son of David, and finally, and this is getting closer, the lens gets in closer, 
He was born, Jesus was, in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Are you ready to find it? Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. This is going to stretch you more than you know. But Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, if you want to turn there, that would be great. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. One of the most clear prophecies in all the Old Testament about Bethlehem. Because it's almost putting it over the edge, but God has spoken sacrificially. God has now spoken so many times that it could not be any clearer, but he makes it now to the city in which this Christ would be born. The city in which this Christ would be born. This was written 700 years before the coming of Christ and 700 years before the fulfillment of everything that would be. But it is here in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. It will be up on the screen if you cannot find it, but here it is, Micah 5, verse 2. It says, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah, and one will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity and from ancient times. Who is this referring to? It's referring to Jesus, isn't it? Why is this important? Well, it's important because this Messiah is going to come somewhere. And if you've been to Independence, Missouri, it's not that big circle cone thing that goes around downtown Independence. And I used to live there, live in that area. This child who was to come existed before he was born. You say, what? And this isn't the stork in the old uh, cartoons that you might see on the uh, cartoon channel that, you know, we don't believe in pre-existence, guys. This is someone who has stepped out of time into eternity, who has no beginning, who's an eternal ruler. But he's going to be born in this little place called Bethlehem, the small town south of Judah, the birthplace of David, which literally means the house of bread because of the grain produced there in ancient times. God, once again, is showing us that the obscure becomes the major, that the minor is something that he uses. What a great thing. You know from Luke chapter 2, and I have this in my notes, it says in Luke 2, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world, the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family in the line of David. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and there she gave birth to her firstborn son, implying he had other brothers and sisters. And she wrapped him tightly in a cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no, as uh, one translation says, no guest room available. I like no room in the inn myself, but it is what it is. What perfect timing. What perfect timing. People are traveling all over the world in Jesus' day, and he, he sends them to their hometown, and it just happens to be the same place that the family line of David could be. Just as the prophet said, so it came to pass. But the liberal crowd will knock on the door and say, oh, man, but those were just written details later. They just kind of put it together like a good story, you know? Isn't that how it happens? And how you get a good story, you kind of piece all the details together later to make it look like it came to be? Well, Mom, I never broke that lamp. It was the bird that flew in through the open window and knocked it over, and then my sister came in, and she smashed it. It wasn't me, Mom. It was all that stuff. Isn't that conservative Christian where this came from? No. Guys, the fulfillment of these prophecies, as we have shared in recent months, is like taking a quarter 
putting a big red X on it, dropping it somewhere two feet deep in Texas with quarters all around, and then dropping someone off and saying, oh, by the way, you have to find that one quarter with a red X on it or you don't win the prize. What are the odds of that? Not very good. The Christmas story, as Andy will put up on the screen, is this. The Christmas story was that there was disaster in the garden. Glory came to Bethlehem. There was a sacrifice on Calvary, and life is forever now in the city of God. Just like Bethlehem had no room for its king, Jerusalem had no place for its savior. So on the hinge of history is on the, the door of Bethlehem's stable. Did you ever think that maybe God could have messed it up? Did you ever have that thought? Because there are some who do. There are some who think that God piecemealed this together, that he learned as he went, that he just had to do it. He just had to, well, they did this, I did that. we got to make it look like this. Guys, that is hogwash. Your God is faithful. He did it just as he said. He carried it out just as he, he, he promised. There's nothing else about it. And from the eating of the forbidden fruit through all of history, it marched to one obscure little town, Bethlehem. The focus gets closer and closer and closer. And you know, this time of year, we so don't want things to be that detailed, do we? Sometimes we just want things to be, just, just, just let it get through. But friends, there's still part of us that so many of us, we want the perfect everything. We, we, you know, if you could decorate your house perfectly with all the plaid bows and strands of twinkling lights and shiny balls, then life would be good. If you could get everything in order, or if you could slave away in the kitchen and make dozens of Christmas cookies, prepping gourmet reels, and arranging beautifully adorned tables at mealtime, that would just be awesome, wouldn't it? Or if you worked at a soup kitchen and you caroled in a nursing home and gave all that you could to charity, you would be a pretty awesome Christian, wouldn't you? Or if you trim the spruce without shimmering the angels and, and attend a myriad of holiday parties and sing in the choir, you would be pretty special, wouldn't you? Those are great things. But if we miss, if our house looks more like this, and that's, not, that's pretty, isn't it? I love that house. Can I have that house? If our focus gets so wrapped up in the fact that we do these things, we become just another decorator, we become just another cook, we become just another whatever it is. If we miss Christ through all the details that this culture has laid upon this very straightforward message, which aren't all bad, they're not sinful necessarily, then we have missed the greatest blessing of all. The greatest blessing came 2,000 years ago, didn't it? When Christ was born, when everything happens. So friends, as we look towards this one last prophecy, I want to remind you, toys are going to break this holiday season. Amen? They're going to run out of batteries. You're going to have to go to Dollar Tree and buy those batteries that don't work anyway. Your pearl necklaces will be lost. Your golf clubs are going to rust one day. But the gift that came at Bethlehem will endure forever because he's the only one promised beforehand that would endure forever, Jesus Christ. Let's go to the last one, number nine, born of a virgin, born of a virgin. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, as we will Look at the last prophecy, and then I'll give you some concluding application here in just a few moments. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. 
I want you to know this also was written 700 years before the coming of Christ. And again, liberal scholars would say Jesus isn't the Messiah. They're going to look at this passage and say, well, this is just one of the prophecies that the people cooked up, souped up, and, you know, it doesn't really have any bearing on anything. But Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, this is what it says. Very familiar words to you. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name, what? Emmanuel, which, of course, we know means God with us. That will also be up on the screen. Now, let me be very clear on this, guys. This is a prophecy. Prophecy has two purposes. Prophecy has an immediate context. Isaiah was speaking. It was an immediate context. God told him to marry an unwed, a virgin maiden as it was. And yes, this prophecy was fulfilled in the fact that they had a child together. He married a virgin. But at the same time, this prophecy, as prophecy does, looks forward as well. It doesn't just apply immediately. It applies future speakingly, if that is the word. Jesus had to be born of a virgin because everyone inherits the sin of Adam. Adam came through natural birth, and, and it says in Psalm 51, In sin did my mother conceive me. If Jesus was conceived by Joseph, his earthly father, he would have gotten the sin nature. And if a sinner, he could not be anyone's savior. He had to be the sinless savior to save us. And that's what we know. So why is it important that we have a virgin birth? It's important because if without a virgin birth, you have no salvation. That's how detailed this gets. Christians, we must face the fact that a denial of the virgin birth is a denial of Jesus Christ. You deny this, you deny everything else. Forget Jesus' salvation, forget his joy, forget his promises, forget everything else. Let me just give you these. won't be on the screen. I just wrote these out even last night just to, to add some, some, some depth here. But I want you to know here are four quick reasons I want to give you about why the virgin birth is important to you. If you have notes, you can take notes or, or just listen, whichever you do. But first, the virgin birth is essential to Christianity because it is Christianity. If Christians of all stripes, of all places, have professed this for 2,000 years, maybe we should not discount it as inconsequential. History informs us. But secondly, the gospel writers clearly believed that Mary was a virgin when she conceived, was conceived, uh, conceived Jesus. Look, we don't know precisely how this all worked. One of y'all asked that for one of the Ask the Pastor questions. Here's what I know. Here's what the Bible says. You ready? We don't know this except it was from the Holy Spirit. Now, how? what was the science behind that, Darren? What was the... I, guys, I have no idea. But the Bible says it. And that's what we believe. Not blindly, not, not uh, uneducatedly, but we do not know... But we do know that Mary understood this was going to be a miracle. It was going to be a miracle of God's grace. Because she asked in Luke one thirty four. she said, How will this be since I am a virgin? Again, the Gospels don't present the virgin birth as some prehistoric myth. They present it, or a pagan copycat, they present it as an orderly account. It's something they believed happened, and we believe as well. If the virgin birth is false, then we lose the reliability of everything we believe in the Scripture. It's crazy, isn't it? So can you be a Christian and deny the virgin birth? You can take your head and go like this. No, you cannot. Can you be a Christian and deny the resurrection? Like my, my, my three-year-old does a lot to us at home right now. No, you cannot. 
If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, what? That he raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, Darren, it never says you have to believe in the virgin birth. But yes, the virgin birth is connected as prophecy through all these things. You deny it. You are not a Christian. Now, does that mean you understand everything about it? Absolutely not. Does that mean you have blind faith? No, you have informed faith. Christianity is not an unthinking religion. If anything, it's more thinking than any religion has ever been. Third, the virgin birth shows that Jesus was both truly human and truly divine. If Jesus had not been born of a human, we could not believe that he was fully human. But if his birth were like any other birth, we would question his full divinity if it was simply between a human father and a human mother. And finally, the virgin birth is essential because it means Jesus did not inherit the curse of Adam. Guys, and that is great news. I love that, you know, so, uh, you know, used to work in athletics, and, you know, one thing we used to preach to our college athletes was, you know, you're a model, you're a role model, you're a role model, you're a role model. But even those college athletes mess up from time to time, don't they? Even the great role models of our day have been falling like dominoes in recent days uh, through the media, and you know their names, that's not the time or the place. But even those that have been looked up to in culture, the, the, the closet and the skeletons have come out in recent days. But I'm grateful that when you open the closet, so to speak, of Jesus' life, all you see is perfection. He's a sinless Savior. He's the one that came, not born of a human father, but he was born of by the Holy Spirit. You know, we drove by the other day, and I, I want to speak to you. We were out in Liberty last night driving around. We took the back way to, to a sister church to watch our light show. Many of you have been there and done that. It's a great show uh, up there at Pleasant Valley, our sister church. See it great gospel presentation but you know what uh, on the way in we drove by the liberty jail downtown liberty and they have a you can go look at this uh, they have uh, what they call the heavenly father wrapping his arms around mary uh, our mormon friends believe that the heavenly father literally had physical relations with human mary to make jesus it's crazy because what happens to jesus then he becomes just one of us Friends, we have a sinless Savior born of a virgin who's eternal from time. He's both the father of David and the creator and the David's line. Isn't that amazing? Missing it by the mark misses a ton of stuff. And lastly, if you'll go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we'll close this out in this here. And Andy will put this up on the screen. For we know this to be very, very true. Isaiah chapter 9, and verse 6, very familiar words. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It can't be any clearer. Christians must face the fact that a denial of the virgin birth is a denial of Jesus Christ. That ain't going to win you, friends. That's not going to get you on History Channel. It might, might get you on History Channel and be like, hey, don't be like these guys. But in God's eyes, this is the only thing that ever mattered. Now, someone asked this the other day, and I, I want to be clear on this. Is, is, is Mary still a virgin to this day? No. Uh, that's why we don't pray to Mary. That's why we don't worship Mary. Uh, Mary is simply a human that God's used in his providence, but Mary is just that. She's a, she's a sinful human. 
Jesus had other brothers and sisters, half-brothers, half-brother Jude, and, and so on and so forth, and that's very, very important. We do not venerate Mary. Jesus is the only one to be worshipped, amen? And that's what we know. So Jesus, you got this, was born of a woman, wide lens, born of the seed of Abraham, born of the son of Isaac, the son of Jacob, the tribe of Judah, the family of Jesse, the son of David, in Bethlehem, by a virgin. 4,000 years of human history all lined up perfectly. Can we just say, wow, can you, I, I, don't, I don't like doing this and I'm in the congregation, but I'm going to ask you to give me some grace here. Would you all just say wow with me on three? One, two, three. Wow. I don't know if we're wowed or not, but it worked pretty well. You guys got some energy. It's a good wake up anyway. Guys, wow. This is not man-made. This is God-made. And because it's God-made, we can trust it to the end. Let me give you three quick applications as we close. God's purposes will be fulfilled. Mandy will get this up on the screen. God's purposes will be fulfilled. You cannot stop it. There is more Christ in us than sin. Sin will never have dominion over you, friend. Sin's dominion has been broken. Sin's presence has been eradicated. We are forgiven and free. And Jesus will return just as he promised he would come. And you can count on it. And, and we don't know the day or the hour. Stay away from people who say they do. Check after, run after Jesus. He is the one who lined it all up, and he has lined up your life to be lined up to his. Have you given him your all? Secondly, and I mentioned this, and I've been carrying this with me for the last couple of weeks, been jingling around in my head, but secondly, we can be thankful this way. May our Thanksgiving list be outrageously longer than our Christmas list this season and all day. Why? Because you have Christ. You have the one who at Jesus' birth is the one Christmas gift that actually opens us up. There was, Christmas is all about exchanging gifts. You know that? It's about we get God's son and God gets our sin. That's awesome. And that's not a fair trade, man. That's like giving someone a lump of coal and saying, Merry Christmas, you've been a bad person this year. I hope you have a great day. Ho, ho, ho. You know, there it is. But Christmas is about exchanging gifts. We were given God's Son at just the right time, born of a virgin, born under the law, without anything we could do. It all came back to Jesus. And finally, Jesus is the name of prophetic fulfillment. Jesus is the name of supernatural power. Jesus is the name of the gospel mission. Jesus is the name of amazing grace. Jesus is the name of the eternal life. Jesus is the name of the sovereign authority, and he is not just a baby. He is the God-man. Changes everything we do. Changes absolutely everything we do. H.B. Charles, if you're into preachers, he's an African-American brother who teaches here at the seminary occasionally. H.B. Charles Jr., if you've not heard a sermon by him, a uh, faithful brother. He's been pastoring since he was 18. Can you imagine that? been pastoring almost 30 years. His papa died and he took over the church. But he tells a story that his dad told him many years ago. His father was in need to go to college many, many, many years ago. And he needed financial assistance and a family offered to help him. So he brought in H.B. Charles' dad. His name was Charles. And after the meal, the father gave H.B. Charles' dad a check. A very generous check. Paid for all four years, if I understand the story right, of his college. Can you imagine that? And it was everything he needed. But when his father saw the check and he saw the name Charles was misspelled, which I don't know how that works. There's really one way to spell Charles, right? But anyway, that's how the story goes. That Charles was misspelled, and he, he, 
he went to the man, and he said, sir, I appreciate, thank you, but my name is wrong on the check. And the man who gave him the money said, that's okay, son. It's okay, Charles. It's my name on the check that counts, not yours. That's exactly what Jesus has done for us. Friends, your name and my name mean nothing when it comes to the kingdom of God. But when Jesus has his name on that check, so to speak, when he said, it is finished, the transaction is done, the prophecy is fulfilled, I am here, there is no other, that is the greatest thing we can take to the bank and withdraw, 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 withdraw. There's no overdraft fees. Can I take this silly analogy even further? There's no overdraft fees. There's no calls from the bank saying, hey, you got too much sin, you can't come to church today. You've got too much whatever. Jesus says, bring it to me and I'll take it all. Bring it to me and I am sufficient to handle it. That is our God. Not just a baby, but the baby who changed everything, the God man. Are we thankful for him this holiday season? When you think about Jesus this year, I want you to think about the mind-numbing fact that every detail worked out exactly how it was supposed to. When was the last time your Christmas ever did that? But by God's grace, the first Christmas, God did it all completely. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, as we come to close out, there's so much that can be said. Father, time always escapes us. But Lord, we realize and understand that you are the worthy one. There is no other God under heaven, above heaven. Father, you don't answer to some God from another planet, from another planet, from another planet, as some believe. You are the one true God. Father, we know these facts. We've heard these facts. We have relished in these facts many times over, both in churches and in our lives. Father, we just pray that your spirit would awaken these in our hearts in a new way this year. Not in a way that's unbiblical, but just in a way that pushes everything else cultural aside. As good as those things are, Father, to, to really make your son Lord of everything in our lives. And Lord, we don't need to, you don't need to be asked for that. You are already Lord. There's not one square inch you cannot look at and say it's not yours. But Father, we know that by grace we need help with that. We struggle with that, Lord, even this time of year. Father, our covetousness goes up, our worry goes up, our pride goes up, our, 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 our bank accounts dwindle, Father, in ways they probably shouldn't just to get that special gift. Father, whatever it is that we need to face at the cross today, thank you that your sin, our sin, has been taken by you, the sinless one. Father, thank you for these dear saints. As we sing to your glory, Father, may you be lifted high. Let it be all about you, we pray in Jesus' name.